Now, we wanted to start this episode by saying we are in no way financial experts. Our stories are here for reference purpose only, and what you are about to hear may surprise you. Second cup of coffee. You ready to get into it? I think I already did. Welcome to Talk 30 to me, a show where we talk about the perspective of 30-somethings on life. My kid is an ass. Love. Did I tell you about the girl? And the never-ending pursuit of fulfillment. My name is Anthony, but most people just call me Turd. And I'm Randy Z. Let's start the show. So, we've discussed major life events and financial beginnings, right? Yeah. We kind of covered that, we beat it, we beat it, we beat it, we beat it. Now what we really want to focus on is the elephant in the room. I think something that we all know but fail to acknowledge as a reality because of our hubris or whatever it may be. We suck at finances as a generation. Now, not just you and I, but I know I suck personally. Yeah. You, yeah, you suck. I suck. You suck major. Yeah. I suck a fat one. We won't say what. Okay. <laughs> that came and I wanted to not hear it, but I, but I heard it. <laughs> Okay, moving on from sucking fat ones. There is a lot that the millennial generation struggles with. Mm -hmm. And I think it all started when we were in our 20s, obviously. It's when things start. We originate financial habits and and patterns very early on in life. And if we can't shake those by a certain point in our lives, we're pretty much destined to failure no matter what we do to get out of it. You know, it's funny you say that because now it kind of clicks why you were living like there's no tomorrow because when the crash hit and there was no guarantee of a paycheck coming, it's like, well, maybe there won't be a tomorrow. You know, you never know. And that makes a lot more sense why you acted the way you did. It's a Hamilton mentality. Wow. Okay. Why do you write like you're running out of time? <laughs> okay. I like it. <laughs> But that's that's what yeah you're right it it all boils down to living in the moment and we're very big at living in the moment right you see that on social media with people's posts of their vacations and this mm-hmm. and that and it, it kind of makes you wonder you know what what's behind it we're not the only ones that do it it's kind of like a mob mentality maybe mm-hmm. and it might not be the right measuring stick for it social media is never the right measuring stick for anything mm-hmm. people that reference social media are stupid. I guess I'm stupid then, but I just found on Twitter, (laughs) (laughs) there are things that, that trouble us, right? In a lot of studies being done, it is found that millennials are stressed out about their finances. And then that, that I was reading a few articles over the weekend, uh, last weekend, and it, it struck me as like, why? Why are millennials stressed out about their finances? Why are we stressed? Why do I get stressed out? And I started looking, you know, uh, scanning my mind for the answer. Do you, have you done anything similar? I can't say I've done anything similar for finances. My thoughts has always been centered around the the kid question and the career question. But finances is something I've never really fixated in. I, I've always kind of lived in the fact that, oh, well, you know, I make what I make. I'm going to try to make more next year. Okay. There's a problem. We just came off an episode last week where we were talking about the importance of life, major life events and how they factor into the financial decisions that we make. But how is it that you, and you're not alone, but you are here right in front of me so I could talk to you. Right. How is it that you 
instead of addressing the most important question, you're addressing the derivatives, right, mm -hmm. that come along with a better financial situation. Most people say, I am financially ready to have kids. I am financially ready to get married. Like we talked about before, I am financially ready to, to buy a house. Right. I'm not going to put myself out there to do these things. And that's a very careful, measured, tempered response. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about, well, you know, I want to have kids and I want to have this and the finances will come. Yeah. That's good. It's, is it good? Because part of me is like, is that a was, impoverished mentality? Right? Like, I don't think about money. I don't worry about money because I've never had it. So I'm not worried about it. Well, here's the thing. You're not alone. Many millennials don't worry about money. And that's a problem. We're struck with long-term debt, right? Student loans. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's ma the main one and big one, because uh, yeah. depending on where you're at, you probably aren't affording a home mortgage or anything right now. Right. So student loans, probably really one of the biggest ones, like you said. There's another one, too. A lot of kids in college, a lot of people in general, go out and buy a car in mm -hmm. college, mm -hmm. and they might commit to terms that don't necessarily agree with them. And here's the thing. While a student loan is forgivable debt to an mm -hmm. extent, a car is not. That's also long-term debt. You know, you're looking at anywhere from five to seven years, depending. And I think I uh, was looking into this. There are 10-year car loans now. Don't do that. That's ridiculous. Don't ever do that. But a five-year loan is, is pretty substantial for a college student who is, you know, struck pay, stuck rather paying a long-term student loan of a hundred, potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. So instead of thinking about your next move, romantically or career-wise, you're stuck thinking and stressing about your finances. Why am I not making enough money? How do I make more money? Instead of focusing on your job and trying to make more money, right, and mm -hmm. working hard, you're, you're stressing about the wrong things. So here's something that people often forget. Financial planning is important. So instead of thinking about how to get more money, why don't we look at it from a different perspective and talk about financial planning? So building the steps for eventual financial success. Have you ever been to a financial planner? No. Well, two questions. Have you been to a financial no. planner? One. And then two, have you been to one that doesn't feel like they're just trying to sell you products? No. And that's the reason why. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because I feel like they're trying to sell you their services. My thing is, how does this person know more than I do about my own finances? That on its own, that one thought, frame it up in a picture in your head, in a picture frame in your head. And ask yourself that question right now. How is someone else supposed to manage my finances for me? If I can't trust myself to do it, or if I can't find the time to do it myself, why the fuck am I going to trust someone else at doing it? Hmm. Sure, they might be better at managing finances for other people and maybe themselves, but how do I know that? I'm, I'm taking a risk. Whereas on myself, at least I can gain some experience in what to do and what not to do. And I have. And I'll share that with you in a little bit. But what I wanted to say is financial planners might be, in essence, a good strategy, right? If you're really just fucking clueless as to what to do with your finances, mm -hmm. get a good idea. Talk to someone that knows. Yeah. But in the end, you're paying a certain percentage of what you're making. Mm -hmm. And not everybody can afford that. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's really realistic. So why leverage a financial planner when you have a lot of really good information online? Be careful. There's a lot of misleading information, but there's a lot of good information. And that can help you kind of rebound. But there are many ways. Remember, 
The system is rigged against you. And that's how it is. The credit system is always rigged against you. And we're going to talk to someone that has really good insight on this system a little bit later in the show. One thing that you have to be mindful of is that when you're in control of your own finances, you learn what to do and what not to do. And it might, I think we alluded to this in the last episode, it might take you a little bit longer, but in the end, your level of financial acumen will just be unmatched amongst our generation. We can start helping each other. But we, it starts here, right? You have to learn and understand your finances before you can help others. And how do you learn and how do you understand? You make a lot of mistakes. And with that, here we are talking about our experiences with our poor financial decisions. <laughs> Maybe we'll just go what it is, oversharing with our guest, Marcus Allen. So we're here with uh, Marcus Allen. and. Just kind of a really brief background of how I met Marcus. Um, I was trying to buy a car, and I didn't know where to start. And I started Googling a whole bunch of stuff when I came across his website. And I started reading through page after page after page after page of what he had posted. And I couldn't figure out whether or not it was for me, so I shot him a quick message. And ever since then, I guess, what was this, a couple months ago, we've been talking. And... Um, just the stuff that I've been able to uncover about this, this uh, very mysterious, or, or so I thought was mysterious figure, um, has been absolutely uh, mind-blowing. So, uh, Marcus, do you want to give us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I um, live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania with a family, beautiful wife, two beautiful children, and besides that, I love to hack life. <laughs> and that's how that's how you met me because uh, I like you was trying to figure out this whole leasing thing versus buying a car thing and you know there's a lot of disinformation out there and I've always known all my life that bad information costs us money and when it costs us money it makes corporations rich and you know I always thought I knew everything about leasing a car. And I clearly didn't because I got scammed every time I leased a car or bought a car or whatever. And I promised myself the last time when I got a car, because we travel a lot, we travel about 50,000 miles a year. Wow. Yeah, I promised, I promised myself that I'm never going to get scammed again. And I went full bore into figuring out the leasing industry, which is very secretive and mysterious. And I met a guy up in Canada and he, he was a Toyota salesman and he showed me that leasing a car is about the same price as financing a car, but you're always in a new car. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a, like a great deal. So I came up with this, uh, this product that teaches people how to do it. And then the second issue that came up was, um, hey, I've got bad credit. I can't lease a car. And hopefully we get to talk. I'd rather talk more about credit today than about leasing car. You know, if we want to talk about leasing, that that's great. But to me, the biggest issue in life for almost, especially the people that you talk to, people in their 30s, uh, millennials, is that, you know, most of them have bad credit and it's not their fault. So hopefully, you know, we can talk, can we go back and forth and talk about that. So Marcus, can you tell me a little bit about your your background in the sense of like, was, was finance something that was like a hobby of yours or did you just have uh, the, this crazy experience that just made you kind of dedicate your all your extra time to learning all you can about it. No, no, no. Failure. I specialized in failure. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was my that was my expertise. I think we could totally relate to that because um our last episode we definitely hit on 
a lot of my failures, my personal failures with credit, my struggles through college. And I was just, I felt like I was drowning. And I can only imagine how you were feeling, uh, knowing a little bit about what you went through. So Marcus, can you elaborate a little more on, on your failures? Oh, sure. Uh, how much time do you have? I, get, I, I, <laughs> I, you know, I've made every mistake in the book and then invented a few at the same time. Yeah, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Uh, the idea of working for someone really never appealed to me. I wasn't very good at it. I'm 50 years old. The last time I had a job, I was in college. And wow. yeah, I was working at Pizza Hut and I was in charge of throw up, literally. When someone threw up in the bathroom, it was my job and I had enough of it and <laughs> I haven't looked back since. That's disgusting. So, <laughs> so, but the big failure for me was uh, six months before 9-11, 2001. So, um, all my friends reported that their business like got slashed in half. My business got slashed in half. Then 9-11 happened and it got slashed even more. And then the worst part was, see, I'm an advertising guy and I had a, an email newsletter about business tips, you know, like life hacks for business. And, you know, every day I was putting out content every day, every day, every day. And then once a week I would promote myself. And just after 9-11 happened, I started to promote myself and I got this huge backlash of my subscribers saying that they thought that it was too soon and that I wasn't being sensitive to the victims of 9-11. And that went on for about a year. And it was so bad that it literally put me out of business twice. I went bankrupt twice. And with bankrupt, by the way, bankruptcy is the worst thing that anyone can do. If anyone tells us you should consider bankruptcy, that is horrible, horrible advice. I can't think of a single situation where bankruptcy is the answer. Because there's a lot of things that aren't covered in bankruptcy that we think is covered by bankruptcy. Uh, sure. Well, I have a question, because isn't there two types of bankruptcy, the Title IX, Title XI? Even those that are supposed to like restore credit or help you kind of get your footing, those aren't recommended either? No. Well, I think it's 7 and 13, Chapter 7 and 13 Thank is you. what I went through. <laughs> yeah. Bringing back great memories. It's it's absolutely horrible. What I should have done is I just should have closed my business down. My employees convinced me to keep the business going because they had nice cushy jobs and we had a great business. I'm I went from literally nothing, you know, classic story in my parents' basement, did no revenue and then got to almost a million dollars and I was actually sending out direct mail postcards for retailers. And it just collapsed and they convinced me to keep it going. It was a big mistake, which is fine. Life is full of mistakes, but I didn't need to go chapter or anything. I should have literally just used the tips that I'm going to talk about today to restore my credit. About how old were you when uh, all this happened? So when you started your business and went from your parents' garage to, you know, a million dollars in sales? I was, it was my early 30s. I think I was 33 at the time when 9-11 happened. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and so and 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 here's the thing. I suffered for from 2001, actually 6 months before 2001 until about two in the middle of 2010. I went a long time. Now, I was fortunate because I have a wife who has an income and my income was like fun money income. So I was always like the home run hitter. You know, if if I didn't make sure. if I didn't make money for a year, it was okay. We were still able to able to survive, but I was the fun money kind of guy. Well, I started making real money again in 2010. I had software that interfaced with Twitter, but then Twitter shut me down and it was like 9-11 all over again. And then I went another huh. uh, seven years without making any real money. So it was, it was difficult, but it wasn't my fault. And that's the thing that I think uh, 
probably half the people listening to this podcast right now will blame themselves. They'll blame themselves something that that wasn't their fault. Maybe medical bills came up. Maybe uh, identity theft came up. I mean, that's a big one. That has nothing to do with, you know, you, we all try to do the right thing right. and someone else causes it and then we take the blame for it. Right. And that's just, that's not good. And it doesn't need to be that way. And that's why I really dug in. Most of my adult life, after claiming bankruptcy twice, we're told, my lawyer told me, you know, in seven years, you can get back your great credit again because I had great credit. And that was just a whopper of a lie. I mean, I literally, I had a zero FICO score. FICO scores wow. go from 300 to 850, 850 being perfect, 300 being terrible. I ha- Last year, I had a zero. Still, this is 16, 17 years after bankruptcy. I didn't even know it was possible to go below 300. Yeah, I, thought I that was. Either. <laughs> I thought that was like 300 would have been zero. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I had a zero. It's like non-established credit even. Any that goes beyond, yeah. It was like I didn't exist. It was that bad. Wow. But the good news wow. is – I figured out, I hacked the system, I bought every book that I could possibly get my hands on. I interviewed a guy who was recommended, because I'm in the car industry, the car industry recommended this one guy who happened to be local to me. And I interviewed him for almost two hours. And I confirmed everything that I learned in all the books. And he confirmed a lot of the stuff, some of the stuff he said was just nonsense. And then I applied that along with going to four different forums that talk, that's all they do is talk about building your credit score. I took all that information and I'm like, listen, I, I'm, I'm a hacker. I don't want to invest a lot of money in this. And by the way, most of the stuff that I'm doing right now is free. I don't want to invest a lot of time in this. I just want like seven steps so that I can go from a zero to excellent. Excellent is around 760. And that's what I've done. I've literally, I mean, every week I check my credit score, which is quite obsessive. I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> and every week my credit score goes up. It's been going, hasn't gone down since I've been putting these tips into action. And I'd love to talk about these tips if you have time. Well, yeah. How long have you actually been putting this into practice for yourself? I think since um, like full bore, maybe like two and a half, three months ago. Wow. Oh, this is recent. Very recent. Oh yeah. And I'm at like, I'm almost at good credit. I'm at I'm almost a good credit right now. I think I have, I can look it up while we're talking here. All right. So I just opened up my credit score and I see that this week I went up six points, another six points. So I'm at, I'm at 623, which is now average. I went from bad last week to average and it keeps going up. And the thing is you can spend money. And again, I want to talk about the actual tactics that I'm doing. One of the, one of the tactics that was actually given to me by one of my mentors from a long time ago is that we want to subscribe to Rich People magazines. Because when we subscribe to Rich People magazines, credit card offers automatically come to us pre-approved. And that gets into utilization. We need to talk about that a little bit. But these these some of these Rich People magazines are like $160 per year to subscribe to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we don't have to do that. And again, I want to talk about that. So yeah, I went up six six points this week. 623 average. So I've literally gone from in like two and a half months from a zero, FICO score zero to 623. And I haven't done so with one of the tactics is actually kind of a scheme that most credit repair companies do, which is they will do a dispute whether you owe the money or not. They will dispute something that's big on a credit report and hope that the company doesn't 
dispute the dispute. That's funny. <laughs> I used to do all that in college. I didn't know that that was a thing. I was like, hope and a prayer. Let's just see if this works. And I think like three or four times it actually worked. <laughs> Can you, I don't know what that means. Can you explain that to me? So let's say that you put a thousand, you have a thousand dollar limit on a gas card and you go traveling this year and you fill up your gas card. What you can do is you can dispute with the three major credit bureaus that you really didn't put the gas on the card. It's a lie. And if they can't prove that they were authorized to charge you for that, the credit reports after so many days, I think it's 30 days, will actually take down the bad credit. And what happens is this this works because these big corporations, they sell portfolios of debt. So let's say that you sign up with I don't know, JP Morgan with a credit card. And then next thing you know, they sell off a portfolio because they want to get into something else. So they sell it to Chase Manhattan Bank. Well, Chase Manhattan Bank doesn't have your signature of you filing a credit app for the, you know, all these different things. They can't prove that it's your debt. So what happens is after 30 or so days, the credit, there are three major credit bureaus, they will take off that entire debt from your credit report. As if it never happened. As if it never happened. And that's it. You don't have to pay it back. It's done. You will never get a call about it again. Right. So there's silence right now because everyone's probably licking their lips saying, wow, how, how can I do that? But what's interesting is I'm at 623 and I've never filed a dispute. I could file a dispute, but from what the experts have told me, it really doesn't make a huge big difference to our credit score. It's mm. the other stuff that makes big, big differences. So all the negative stuff on on a credit score, all the non-paid bills, all the past dues, all the over-credit limits, all that stuff, does it matter? No, it totally matters. Totally matters. Okay. What I'm saying is there are things that we can do. We can make make little adjustments and pivots in the way that we pay back our debts that make huge differences. This is not one of them. What's interesting to me, and again, this this guy did the podcast with, and I just stumbled upon this accidentally. I'm going to get back to my horror horror show, show story. So I had all these bills piling up. I went from great credit to 9-11 to sinking and trying to bail out the, the water out of my boat and all that kind of stuff. And then it leaked into my wife's boat. She had perfect credit. And I was literally doing cash advances on her credit card to pay the minimum payments on my debt, just trying to stay alive. So then I, then it got to a point I couldn't even afford to pay back on my wife's card. So we had like this $28,000 credit card where I didn't make a payment for the longest time. And you would think, hey, if you don't make a payment on a $28,000 card, that's gonna you're going to go down to 300 FICO score. That's actually not true. See, I figured out that the credit industry is kind of like figuring out a Rubik's Cube. If we take a Rubik's Cube, if I take an old guy like me takes a Rubik's Cube and I try to get it, all the colors on the same side, I'll never get it. I can go days and days and days. probably won't even get one side done. Or I can hand the Rubik's Cube off off to an 11-year-old who knows exactly how the game works and he'll figure it out in 15 seconds. And that's the way I look at the credit industry. By knowing the rules of the game, because it's a game, and by understanding the rules of the game, I'm able to make little shifts in the way that we pay back the debt with it costing no extra money out of our paycheck. So I can take the same paycheck that I get week after week after week, and instead of mistakenly thinking that if I pay down the big amounts 
or making payments towards things that I haven't made a payment on in three months, that's actually not the right strategy. The, the right strategy is to, is to make it so that you're not at a maxed credit limit. A max credit limit completely ruins everything. Mm-hmm. I remember, I think I heard that you need to be at 30% max uh, for your credit not to be com- uh, compromised. That's another lie. See, it's, it's lie after lie upon lie after lie. Actually, you need to be at 89%. When you get your debts wow. underneath 89%, that's like one big layer of improving your credit score. Then it goes 70%, then it goes 30%, then it goes 20%, then it goes $3. Let's talk about the $3. $3, the $3 means most people think, hey, if I pay off my credit cards, pay them off completely, that's great for my credit. But that actually works against you because if the credit card company sees that you have a zero balance for a, a certain consecutive number of times, let's say six months or a year, they'll actually close the account. And if you had a $10,000 limit or a $5,000 limit or a $1,000 limit, now your utilization is gone. See, those limits, when you have lots of available credit, that's what benefits your score. And when they, when they see a zero balance and they cut it off, and let's say you had $10,000, now your utilization just went down 10000 10, Your available credit just went down $10,000. That's huge. And that works against your credit score. Hmm. So there's all, there's all these things that they don't tell you. The big lie, by the way, is that you should pay your bills on time, right? So when we hear that, oh, pay your bills on time, we think we're being good people, good credit worthy citizens by, you know, as soon as that bill comes in, we see the due date. Let's say the due date is, I don't know, October 29th. And we make sure that it gets there a few days before the 29th. But that actually works against us too. And the reason for it, that's that utilization thing again. So what happens, let's take another example. Let's say I get a brand new $1,000 credit card. And let's say I spend $500, I have fun. The credit card statement comes in. I wait till the end to pay it off on time. I pay off the entire $500. So you would think that our utilization would be zero. We're utilizing 0% of the $1,000. But according to the credit industry, it doesn't work that way. What happens is you're now at a 50% utilization because you're doing it after the reporting date. That's when you need to have your bills paid off before the reporting date, not the due date. What's what's the difference? Yeah. How, how does that work? The, report, the reporting date is when the, the creditor, the people we owe money to, report our financial status on their particular portfolio to the credit agencies. The due date is days or weeks beyond that. So when do we how, – how are we able to identify when the reporting date is or what the, that reporting date is? That's, that's a great question. What I do to guarantee that I always get before the reporting date is that I pay my bills as soon as they come in. That's the punchline. Hmm. So don't delay. Pay today. Pay it pay. Right as you get the bill. Don't delay. Pay today. I like that. <laughs> pay today. Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. You said it, not me. <laughs> but I got you there. <laughs> I'll take credit. <laughs> so that's a strategy. What if you can't do it? What's the next best thing? What if, like, I got the bill and I know I couldn't pay it today, but I could pay it in like two weeks? Should I just go ahead and pay it in two weeks, or do I not pay it at all? See, that's where the whole pivoting and knowing exactly how the game works. So what I do is let's say I have 10 different credit cards or uh, 10 different debts. What I do is I focus on one. 
So what a lot of people, what I find a lot of people do is they 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 pay way too much money towards stuff that doesn't mean nearly as much. What I would recommend doing instead is shifting that money to the debt that has the highest amount of utilization. So let's say you got something that's near your max, you're almost maxed out, but maybe it's a gas card and that gas card has, you know, it's a $500 gas card. I would attack that $500 gas card and get to 89% or lower. Then I would move on to the next highest balance one. Maybe I have a $750 home shopping network card. That one is at 93% utilization. Again, on the next the next billing cycle, when that bill comes in, I would take care of that and get that underneath 89%. And I would keep doing that until everything's at least under 89%. Then I move on to the 70%. Then I move on to the 30%. Then I move on to the 20%. Then I move on to the $3. I never, oh yeah, I did answer why. I never answered the $3 part. The reason you want to go $3 is because some companies, if they see a dollar balance, dollar fifty, two dollars they might consider that a zero balance. And again, they might turn off your account. And again, that's the worst thing that you can do, especially the high dollar, the one with the high available credit. If you've got something that's got $10,000 card and you've paid it off and they shut you down, that's $10,000 that comes off your credit report. That hurts your score. So, I mean, pretty much anyone, hopefully who's listening to this, if you have any kind of job, you can always just find the one, the low hanging fruit, the bill that you have that has over 90%, but it's a low cost bill. It's a gas bill. It's a department store bill, whatever. Again, a lot of people make the mistake and they assume a lot of things in the credit business. You can't do it that way. It's not the, it's not how the game is played. So let's say I have a, a credit card with a little bit of high interest and I have 92% credit utilization on that card. Yep. And I get it down below 89%, but then I get an interest charge. That brings me back up over that. And then I'm just kind of just paying down the interest on that card instead of actually making a dent on the principal. Yep. How do I deal with that? See, that's a great question. But I think we should step back and look at the bigger picture of the whole thing. Okay. Take a car, for example. I helped you with your car. Do you remember how much the rent charge, which is the finance charge, is for leasing? Do you remember what the rent charge we were able to get you was? Uh, it was like $37 or something like that. Okay. So now 99% of people listening in will have no idea what that means. If you were to get a regular car without using my system, when I did, if, you, if I didn't help you, do you remember how much it would have been approximately for the same rent charge on a lease? Well, I can tell you right now on my wife's car, when we leased my wife's car about a year ago, it, I was looking at the lease documents and it was, I think, in the 3000 or $4,000 range. That's right. So two things happened there that made it so that we took zeros off the rent charge. The first thing is you use my system. But besides that, if I remember right, you have excellent credit, right? Yeah. Okay. If you go from having excellent credit down to good credit and you get the basic, you get a Honda Accord or you get a Toyota RAV4, it doesn't really matter. On average, you're going to pay about $200 more, $200 more if you have bad credit per month for that car. Wow. If you're the average person and you live to 76.5 here in the United States, that's what the average person lives. So you go 50 years and you keep paying that $200 extra a month. It's it's just $200. That's over $100,000 in interest on top of what we should be paying that just goes into thin air. We get absolutely nothing for that. So when people say, oh yeah, if I bring down my utilization, but I'm paying, I'm still paying on that high interest credit card, I wouldn't worry about that right now. What we want to do is we want to get your credit score up 
so that in the future, anything else that you do, you're getting a 3.5% interest rate instead of a subprime rate, which is what you're going to get with bad credit, of 9%, 10%, 15%, 18%. So if you can't afford to pay everything off to lower that overall interest rate, I would use my strategy and just go for the low-hanging fruit. So how about someone like me who has excellent credit, Mm -hmm. but I have all these credit cards with really high uh, interest rates. Like It doesn't make sense for me to – and I'm able to pay down my bills, but let's say that I'm focused more on getting my credit score up from where it's at right now, which I think is in the mid to high 700s, to the 800s, right? Um, How do I do that and not have to – to pay those high interest credit cards in just the interest because I'll be honest, like looking at a 26% APR every month, that's 2% on my, or two and a half percent on my balance extra that I don't want to pay. Yeah. Well, have you thought about doing a balance transfer? Yeah, I could do a balance transfer, but that's still, um, basically let's say I would consolidate all my debt onto like a 0% card. Yep that would increase my utilization on that card, which would in turn lower my credit score, wouldn't it? Mm, but- no, no it, I, I th- again, I'm not an expert. All I do is take what the experts say and I report what the, what they say is, is something that works or what, or, or what doesn't work. So the answer is I really don't know, but I'm pretty sure that it doesn't matter. I think it's an overall score. Okay. So I wouldn't be concerned about that. I would absolutely do a balance transfer. So when you say overall score, you're talking about if you have five credit cards where one might be 500, one might be 10,000, then we're talking about your credit scores is, or your available credit is 10,500, not per card. That's right. Kind of deal. Is that okay? That's right. Mm-hmm. Now, there, I, I'm sure there's something. See, first of all, the FICO score, a lot of people think the FICO score is the, all, the be all end all score. It's not. FICO admits that they have over 500 different scores depending on the niche. For example, there's an auto FICO score. There's one for homes. There's one for insurance. A lot of people don't know, a lot of people don't know that our insurance rates are dependent on our credit score, even if we pay cash or by check. I, I had no idea. Yeah. So a lot of people are like, well, I pay cash for everything. I don't need to worry about my credit score. Well, not in today's world. In today's world, the credit score even creeps into stuff we pay by cash, which includes our auto insurance. That's a relatively new thing. Wow. That's ridiculous. I that's, didn't know that. That's so funny because I wanted to ask about that. Do you come across people that are very adamant about not having credit and only, you know, the whole idea of like living within your means, which means I can't have credit card debt because I can't trust myself. So I only buy what I can afford to pay in cash right now. Do you come across people like that that refuse to use credit? Oh, of course I do. And and that's very admirable. I mean, I I I am a cash person myself. I haven't had a smartphone until a month ago. And the only reason I got a smartphone is because we're going into a cashless society. We are not going to have a choice. Cash is dead. In Sweden, it's a cashless society. Salt Lake City, cashless society. There's no cash in Salt Lake City, from what I understand. So we're, we're moving into that. And... Um, you know, I don't want to be in debt myself. The reason why, again, I'm, wor- I'm worried about building my credit score up is because there are things like cars and homes and big ticket items that in today's world, I cannot afford a $300,000. I can't save up for that to get that $300,000 home. But I can leverage my high credit score that I will have. And I can leverage the fact that I can get a 35 
um, interest rate on that $300,000 home. And then I can take the money that I would normally put towards a home and put it into an investment like a Vanguard, which notoriously every year gets nine and a half, ten percent 10%. So I can trade the three and a half percent for the nine and a half to 10%. That's like triple my money. So yeah, I have my you know father-in-law who just thinks it's insane to lease a car. He thinks it's insane not to pay cash for his house. Well, that's great back in the 1950s, but we live in 2017. <laughs> yeah, but can you explain that cashless society a little bit more? Like, yeah, that was that was very that's interesting. very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's Apple Pay basically. I mean, that's Apple's the first to kind of pioneer that, where you just wave your smartphone, it's tapped into your bank account, and out goes the money. So it's going to be a world of money where we don't even physically see our money. We just believe it's there. Isn't that dangerous? I mean, that's arguably what the credit card experience is too, right? You don't actually have cash. You have a card that represents an account that yeah. has cash. Essentially, yeah. And I don't get paid like a physical check anymore. I get direct deposit. Everything's in the bank. I don't think I've taken money out in quite so, oh no well recently when we went on the trip but that was about it you know I, yeah I only do it when I um either go overseas or get a haircut that's the only time I times I get and lotto tickets because I'm Mexican <laughs> <laughs> those are the only times I pull out cash and and think about it, like like oh my god we're going to no we already are a cashless society essentially yeah Android Pay is used and accepted pretty much everywhere like Apple Pay uh, now you could pay with PayPal in in some instances mm-hmm. uh, in supermarkets and stuff like that yeah. Um, I don't think that idea is very comfortable for me, but I've been doing it so much that it should be, right? right? Yeah, absolutely. And I've been involved with this for so long. God, I've been on PayPal since I was like 14, Yeah, you know, when they first came out. And the idea of not being able to hold my money in my hand is is terrifying. Okay, so we're getting off topic. So Marcus, I want to ask another question uh, with with credit, because personally, I've gone through identity theft. And ironically, it wasn't through uh, credit cards as much as it was through my taxes with my social security being compromised. Yep. Uh, that hasn't necessarily affected my credit score, thankfully, but I've dealt, I've been in collections like 10 times for credit cards that I've not opened. Well, then, that's, then that has affected your credit score, hasn't it? It hasn't gone down. I'm I'm still in excellent credit. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like I said, I, that's been thankfully that that's been the case for me. Because um, I know other people that get into that and go into collections and they just tanks their credit scores. Do you have advice for people that uh, have dealt with identity theft and it's affected their credit and and they're trying to get back into good graces? Yeah, I mean, in all the in the four forms that I've been in half my adult life, I mean, it's just a it's just a constant drone of people having. Identity, identity theft issues. Of course, you know, there are all sorts of things that you can do to try to prevent that, which is, you know, you know, don't have the same password when you go online for every website that you go to. I don't, a lot Mm. of people don't understand that. Like you guys are probably too young to remember this, but AOL released (laughs) you millennial types. You, they're like 10 years ago, AOL released this report that showed a, a, a breach of their system. And all, and they literally showed all the username and passwords. Now, if I would have gone and scanned through that and found my username and found my password, that means I probably have the password for everything else that I go online with. Most people keep the same password for everything. Now, I know it's a real pain in the neck to come up with a different password every time. But really, that's, I mean, if you're asking me what advice I would do to prevent identity theft, that would be one big one is, you know, on your laptop, which isn't as secure as it could be, but on your laptop, I keep a file called credentials. 
And every time I go to a website, I come up with a very long string of random numbers and letters. And that's how I prevent people from stealing my stuff. Yeah, I'm personally reliant on LastPass. It's, a, it's an app I use for password management. But even that can be compromised. Yeah, I was just going to say compromised. I was just going to say that. Yeah, I don't trust I don't trust that stuff. So yeah, I just keep it on my it's on my laptop and it gets backed up every night. And that's how I I I prevent identity theft. It's actually a smart way to do it, but how about I mean, what about those people with the recent Equifax breach and and that was a nightmare. That yeah, was all or, personal information. Or going into collections and having uh because of identity theft um how do you, how do you uh, approach that? Well, um, um, people people false me accuse me of being a conspiracy theorist. I'm just a critical thinker, <laughs> and I don't buy all these breaches. I think all this stuff is just a way for for us to get acclimated to the idea of a cashless society. I don't think all these breaches are really happening, so I don't I don't let it bother me. I continue to go online the way I do. I continue to buy stuff through Amazon. Again, I'm just very careful with my passwords and I change them up a lot. So yeah, I mean, if you've got a false, something that's false on your credit report, it might, I say might, it might make sense to to get it erased. It certainly is going to, not going to cost you anything and then it'll take you a little bit of time. But here's another thing that nobody talks about, which is the statute of limitations of debt. Have you guys ever heard of that? I have. I think it's seven years, isn't it? Uh, it in California, it might be seven years, but in Pennsylvania, it's four years. So for those who don't oh. for who don't know about that, I cannot pay a debt. I can owe that $20,000 that happened with my wife's credit card. And this is what happened. I could stop paying on it. I can ignore all phone calls, ignore all mail that comes, you know, debt collection mail that comes to my, my mailbox. I can wait four years. And according to the law... If I haven't made a single payment towards my debt after four years, then it gets erased from the credit report. And it does. How does that even work? Why is that even a thing? Why wouldn't people just wait out all their debts? That's kind of like that's kind of like asking me how, you know, why did the magician do that? I have no idea the why, but I know how the magician did it. Mm. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I think that's beneficial, hugely beneficial to people that are in trouble, but that's waiting a whole whatever length of time that is for your state without any without being able to leverage credit. That's a long time. That's especially if it's someone that's usually reliant on credit, right? Yeah. Right, but but here's where it comes in. See, let's say that you get hounded by you see a lot of people make the mistake, they get hounded by debt collectors. And the debt collectors towards the end of the statute of limitations, they know they, when they're making phone calls, they know what state you're in and they can look at the history of your file and they know, oh, we've got three more months before the statute of limitations kicks in. And what they're going to do is they're going to be like, listen, hey, Mark, can you send me a dollar? Just send me a dollar to show that you're going to pay this thing off that you mean well. I just need, I can go to my boss. He'll take a dollar. So you know what happens when they take a dollar? The statute of limitations resets and your debt oh. goes back to zero. You got to wait another four years. It's a trick. Wow. So, you know, people say, okay, well, it's, what about what about settling? I've heard a lot about people saying, oh, well, we settled on this amount. My, my debt was 20000 but I settled on 10000 or yeah, whatever the that. case is. I've personally done that. I would never settle. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> only, well, only. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, think because, <laughs> because the laws, it's because the game is rigged. Okay, it's a game, 
and it sucks. I mean, I want to do the right thing. I want to settle and pay debts that I owe. I, I'm totally with that. But the game is rigged, and when you settle, it doesn't necessarily come off your – you're relying on them to report that it's been settled. I've seen way too many people say that they've settled and it doesn't come off the report. It just opens up more cans of worms than it solves. So, again, there are two ways to go about that. You can dispute the debt or you can wait it out. Yeah, I wish I had known that because I didn't really need credit cards anymore in college. And I could have probably been in a much better situation now had I not paid anything off. Probably financially, too. I would have been a lot smarter. But I went ahead and I settled. But in the end, yeah, there was actually, if memory serves, there were a couple of credit card companies that didn't report it. And I had to go back there and I had to call them and be like, hey, wait a minute. Can you please send me confirmation of this in my mail? And then I had to send that when they sent that in. I had to send that to the credit bureaus and have them update that file mm. per the per the written documentation that I was sent by the credit card companies because they refused to send it. Yeah. So that that was shitty. Yeah, they'll they'll fuck you every ch- chance they get, and that's the problem, right? The system is rigged against us. Mm-hmm. That's good insight. I call this. I call the credit system. It's kind of like the Osama bin Laden of boogeymen. Like, think about it. We have a three-digit number that is the ultimate boogeyman on whether we pay $100,000 more over 50 years off our car loan or not. Three-digit number. If you have a 710, you might pay less. If you have a a, a 522, you're going to pay a heck of a lot more. And the great evil genius thing about this is that there's no complaints department, right? I can't go call someone and say, hey, my score shouldn't be 522. It should be 755. There's no complaints department. You can't go to the credit bureaus and complain. Now, you can dispute a bad mark. That's one thing. But I can't complain and say, that's not fair. My credit score shouldn't be that low. It should be here. So they have this boogeyman that no one can get mad at, and they just accept it. We accept that we have the score of 622. Oh, I guess I should pay you know, a subprime loan amount for my house or car, or my insurance should be higher because I have a 622. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I've actually heard recently that the credit industry is set up to be more in favor of the creditors rather than the consumers, but it is the consumers they represent. And there is no consumer representation. It's all leaning toward creditor support and representation, 100%. That's right. And that's ridiculous. It, and and it never really processed for me, but we are in a society where the consumer matters nothing, but it matters so much at the same time. Like uh, on the end of the uh, fiscal responsibility uh, side of it, it, the consumer doesn't matter whatsoever. It's a creditor who gets to decide, okay, you can get, have a credit card, Randy. Mm-hmm. Or Marcus, you can have a $10,000 limit and Randy will have a $500 limit because Randy, you, you suck, right? Yeah. But in the end, I should be able to decide, okay, this should be what I can afford. This is what I want. And you should be able to go in like to a bidding war with credit card companies mm. and say, okay, I, I choose this company over over you because you're giving me a better rate and you're giving me a better limit. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, that's this, this whole thing. Um, I think it was a, it was actually on Sirius and it was on Fox News radio or business radio where it was the chick that dressed up as the Monopoly man in the recent Equifax hearings. Oh, I, I didn't see this at in, all. In front of Congress. 
No, I didn't see this at all. Okay, so it did make news, and she dressed up as a Monopoly man. She was sitting right behind the guy who was getting grilled. I think it was the head of Equifax. And she mentioned that this is the start. She feels, and I guess it was more of a hope than a feeling, what she mentioned was that they were essentially trying to revolutionize this antiquated system of crediting, where the number and everything around consumer credit is controlled by the creditor and not the actual consumer. So this is kind of like the rise of the consumers, right? I was just going to ask if Marcus, you had any commentary on that because you already mentioned that we're moving to a cashless society that this system for crediting isn't meant for the consumer, it's meant for the creditor. And we saw the housing market crash that happened in uh, 08 because of that, right? Uh, do you think there's going to be another crash with like credit systems? Completely off topic from what we talked about and where your expertise is, but I would, I'd be interested to know what your, your thoughts are if you have any on that. Um, I don't know. I don't like to make predictions because when I'm right about predictions, people tend to ignore me. And when I'm wrong, they, they scold me. But <laughs> one, th- one thing that I do know, getting back to it, is I was going to ask you guys. I'm going to return the question, and that is this. When you guys went to school, how many days did your teachers spend on – teaching us how to be responsible with our credit. Well, that's exactly what we discussed last episode. It was zero. They yeah. don't teach you these things in school. I don't even know if you get that education if you're a finance major. Cause <laughs> you, you work on corporate finance more than you work on like personal uh, business and personal establishment. So yeah, I had I had zero. Thinking that, you know, maybe I get that in home economics. Nope. Home economics. Yeah, no, I'd never got any of that. No exposure to any personal finance. I had to learn the hard way, as a matter of fact. Now, wouldn't you agree that if there was one thing that you should be the expert, our own experts at, would be how to manage our finances and credit? Wouldn't you say that would be a top one, two, or three thing that we should know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Then then the question is, (laughs) why, why don't they teach us that? Because we're meant to be good middle-class citizens and pay our debts. <laughs> I wanted to shout out some conspiracy theory right there. It's like, it's a man. It's a man keeping us down. <laughs> right, but it's not, see, everyone throws that conspiracy theory tag out as a, a pejorative, but it is a conspiracy. It is the, the, the government who teaches us the propaganda. They are in cahoots with industry. And industry knows that when we make poor decisions – their profits go up. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. So again, it's not our fault. I mean, like our parents, you know, that's the other thing about parenting too. Our parents, they always say, don't, don't build, don't put stuff on your credit cards bad. Well, yeah. why is it bad, dad? Like they never explain that. It's like, why? And why are you doing it? Why are you telling me not to do it, but you're doing it? Yeah. It boils down to just listen to me. I'm the parent I know. <laughs> right. So it's like, we don't have a chance. I mean, even when we try to do the right things with no training, no education on it, we don't have a chance. And it ain't the credit card companies that are going to help us. It's it, You know what it reminds me of? Do you ever get those um, ads in your electric bill that say, here's you know uh, California Electric's top seven ways to save energy this month? Like, why would they tell us to save energy if it's going to hurt their profits? I don't trust that. Yeah, that's true. Never thought about that, but well, I mine is is in California. We often go through droughts, yeah, and blackouts, right. and all that. Well, let me finish my life. So we often go through droughts, and then they say, "Okay, we need everybody to pitch in and conserve their water usage." And if that's the case, then we'll be able to maintain the prices, and it won't go up. And then Californians never fail to 
underuse and meet the quota. And then the water company comes back. You know what? We're struggling. We're going to have to raise the price on water. Right. Uh, and the prices continue to go up anyway, even if we bring down our usage. Right. So it's this, it's this vicious cycle. Yeah. Uh, it's a hustle. It's as simple as that. We live in a hustle. Almost everything in life is a hustle. So by understanding how the hustle works and reverse engineering things and pivoting and having the knowledge on how this stuff works, that's how you get ahead. Simple. So that's what I do. And that's the, the punchline of this soon to be our talk is just be knowledgeable, you know, ask questions and be knowledgeable on how this stuff works. Instead of having our heads down in that stupid phone, looking at Facebook and YouTube all day long, like figure this stuff out. If you figure this stuff out, it could put serious money back into our pockets. Again, $200 a month over 50 years is 100000 dollars that we're paying. We're getting absolutely nothing in return for that. And that's just that's just the car example. So, Marcus, you've you've given us a, a lot of great insights today. If people want to know more about you know how you can help them, where what would you know what are you offering as far as like services these days? Well, I wrote a whole blog post that really concisely summarizes all the things that we talked about. And I show people my journey, how I went from literally a zero FICO score to the whatever it is now. We talked about it earlier. Let me see. It's, oh, it just, it, what was it like six something? Six? Yeah, it was like 620 or something like that, 623. Which, by the way, has not gone down since. It literally goes up like one or two points. One week it went up 48 points. This week it went up six points. It keeps going up. And I'm doing, spending zero money on it. Everything is just tactics. I'm just redirecting money in the right way. And what I did is I actually document my journey. You can actually see it. I show screenshots of all the successes that I have, also the failures too, you know, because there are some things that don't work. So I, I, I set up, because this is an audio, I made a little short kind of like tiny URL kind of redirect. If people want to see what I did, just go to www.fetch. That's F-E-T-C-H, 123.com forward slash credit, C-R-E-D-I-T. Once again, that's www.fetch123.com forward slash credit. And that'll redirect to my My Amazing Discoveries blog. And I have this massive post about all the things that we talked about today. Awesome. Well, Marcus, thank you so much for uh, taking this time out of your busy day. Sure. Uh, and your, especially your weekend to spend time with us and talk to us and run us through your your journey. Hey, my pleasure. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. So thank you to our guest, Marcus, for coming on and talking to us about credit. Uh, Turg, what did you think? <laughs> I think it went really well. I think for our first or second interview this year, we could probably use a little bit more of these, right? <laughs> I think so. So, Randy, where can the people find you? You can find me anywhere and everywhere at I am Randy Z. And Turg? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Turg Says No. And please go on that link that Marcus shared, fetch123.com slash credit to find out more about what he offers. And if you want to hear a little bit more about my car leasing story, we'll get into that next week. Thank you for subscribing to another episode of Talk 30 to Me. We hope you enjoy it and continue to share it with friends. Make sure you stop by our website at talk30tome.com for more content and information about the podcast. Rate us on iTunes, and if you really like what you hear, make sure you hit that donate button. Really appreciate it. For Talk 30 to Me, I'm Turg. And I'm Randy Z. 
Peace. All right. Well, I thought that was good. That, yeah, that yeah. was really great. I liked it. That was very, uh, very informative, very concise. Um, I was actually surprised I was able to stay focused for the most part. <laughs> Here we are oversharing with Marcus Allen. Enjoy. Our guest. So today we're oversharing with Marcus Allen, our guest. Our guest, Marcus Allen. <laughs> yeah, <I> <laughs> <laughs> it's like the worst noun a positive phrase. It's like bad English, maybe. And now here we are oversharing with Mar- And now here we are oversharing with our guest, Marcus Allen. Marcus? And now here we are oversharing with our guest, Marcus Allen. What am I trying to say? Are you saying they're trying to revolutionize the fact that this is a dead system? Essentially, yeah. Um, that's a good way of saying it. They're, what she mentioned was that they're essentially trying to revolutionize this antiquated system of crediting. Where the number... <laughs> Why? It's like wild police chases or something like that, like on uh, Spike. <laughs> oh, we're recording. Of course we needed outros, so you hit fucking record, so we can get outros, so you could have your... Uh, five minutes of just fucking around at the end of the podcast, which you didn't have last episode, I noticed you struggled for content. (laughs) (laughs) I did. (laughs) You bastard.